Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series of messages on the book of Ezekiel were recorded in Malaysia in August 2010. Be sure to get a copy of Kevin's newly released commentary on the book of Ezekiel, available in paperback and ebook formats from Amazon.com and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. Thank you for your prayers. I didn't sleep in air conditioning last night, <clears throat> so I just uh, had holy sweat all night, I think. <laughs> so uh, just thank you for your prayers. Appreciate that. All right, we want to move right into our sessions this morning. So uh, I've got a lot to cover today in three sessions. Uh, just uh, keep praying for me. Uh, I felt a bit bad last night, to tell the truth, and I hope in my session, because of my voice, I didn't come across too dead. Was I too dead? You know, uh, it's a sin. It's a sin to bore people, and uh, and sometimes when people bore me when they're preaching and the offering bag goes round, I take out a refund. <laughs> but you mustn't do that, okay? All right. So let's see what we've covered and what we need to cover this morning. So in our first session, we did Old Testament survey uh, from uh, Ezekiel, just the overview. Hope you enjoy uh, enjoyed that. And then uh, session number two, we did Ezekiel's call and commission and those seven things. Last night, we dealt with the glory leaving the old temple, the old covenant temple, and looked a bit at the new covenant temple a little bit. And then uh, on the final session last night, we looked at prophecies concerning the Gentile nations that God is interested in individuals and also in nations. He deals with nations, he judges nations, and also he wants to bless nations with the gospel. All right, so this morning we want to look at messianic prophecies and the restoration of Israel. I'd like you to turn uh, to uh, one scripture for a start here, and then uh, pages we're going to look at are pages uh, 666, uh, no, no, uh, pages 22 and 23. <coughs> so let's first start, turn to uh, uh, just one prophecy by way of introduction in uh, Ezekiel chapter 11. And uh, I think the verses, as we read them, are pretty self-explanatory. And as, we, as uh, Brother Hong Sing has said, uh, don't forget to put your questions down. Leave your names off so that we attack a problem and not attack a person. And that if we disagree, we disagree agreeably. Everybody said amen. Uh, how is everybody today? Saturday. We're keeping Sabbath. I had a friend in America before he went to be with the Lord. He used to keep Saturday and Sunday just to make sure. <laughs> I keep seven days a week to make sure. So I serve the Lord seven days a week. All right, uh, Ezekiel chapter 11, and I just want to read the first few verses. Now, remember in the chapter so far that we've covered, uh, Ezekiel's gone into Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah's still up in Jerusalem, and they're sort of corresponding a little bit uh, in their ministry. Jeremiah is more the word man, speaking prophetically and directly to the people. Uh, Ezekiel is more visionary. And so as we've gone through chapters 1 through 11, the glory of God has departed from the building, the temple, and the temple is going to be desolated. Now, listen to the first messianic prophecy we have of restoration in due time. We'll come back to it later on. Verse 14, again the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, your brethren, your relatives, your countrymen, and all the house of Israel in its entirety are those about whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, 
get far away from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, uh, listen carefully to the language, we've read it before, although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Now, there's the, the promise of restoration. Some of it was fulfilled partially after the 70 years captivity in Babylon, uh, but there's still some, uh, I believe, uh, like a number of prophecies they have uh, several fulfillments throughout church history and I think what's going on in the Middle East today and last number of years is all part of the, uh, this again so he says um, verse 17 therefore th uh, thus says the Lord God I will gather you from the peoples assemble you from the countries where uh, you have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel well they've been kicked out of the land the house of Israel in BC 721 house of Judah going into ca Babylon captivity now and uh, they will go there and they will take away all its detestable things and all its abominations from there, which we looked at uh, for those major abominations in chapter 8. Listen to the new covenant promise in verse 19. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them. So one heart, united heart, a new spirit, power of the Holy Spirit, and take the stony heart out of their flesh and that would be very significant when we think of the ten table, uh, the ten commandments written on two tables of stone. So they, they were stoned, uh, not on LSD. Okay, we better say that. Uh, so stony, stony commandments, stony tables, stony heart, uh, stony ground. And so he's, the promise is I'm going to give them one heart. I'll put a new spirit with them, take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So a heart of flesh is more sensitive, responsive, and uh, e you know, easy to respond to the Lord. What for? That they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgment and do them. And here's the new covenant promise in, in fullness. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Okay, so even though chapters 1 to 11, the glory of God is departed and God is scattering them down to Babylon captivity, here we have a promise of restoration. All right, now I want you to go to page uh, uh, 2022 in your notes. And we're going to be pretty systematic uh, in, our, in our approach this morning. And I want to give you a few scriptures, but we'll work through these. Now, uh, please listen carefully to me because this is a very controversial section. And uh, I have some ministers that because they don't know me, they don't know what I believe. Uh, I'm going to share it with you this morning. They haven't heard me teach on this area. Uh, they say, Kevin Connor is anti-Semitic. I'm Hitler's son-in-law. So, well, I'm not, I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm not anti-anybody. But what I want to do is balance out what I think are too extreme. So in, uh, in the traveling I've done over 100 years, whatever, uh, I see that there's two sh extremes on this matter of Israel, restoration of Israel, or what about the Jew, what about Israel, uh, just two extremes on it. Uh, one extreme uh, deifies the church above the Jew. So God's finished with the Jew, they're damned. There's nothing for them now. God's finished with the Jewish nation, and uh, so the church is it. But then you have the other extreme that says, well, uh, God's finished with the church. And the church is going to be spewed out like Laodicea. It's cold and lukewarm. It's making Jesus sick. He's going to spew it out, and God's going to exalt the Jews above the, uh, above the church. Uh, both are extremes. 
So what I want to do here this morning is go way down the middle, which I believe is a uh, more of a balance on these type of things. And uh, I hope that uh, at the end of it you'll say amen and not oh me. Okay, so we're looking at page 22, and let me just verbalize a little bit out of the text at the top of page 2, then go to my own personal notes. So, introductory. In section 3 of the book of Ezekiel, uh, refer to the survey that we've done, there are prophecies which concern the restoration of Israel to the Lord through the new covenant. These chapters are more particularly found in Ezekiel chapters 34, 36, 37, 38, 39. Ezekiel's prophetic words have unfolded. The temple is destroyed. Number two, the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. Number three, the house of Judah has been taken captive to Babylon. And number four, the land is desolated to enjoy the Sabbaths. All right, a question frequently asked today is, what about Israel? What about the Jew? In order to appreciate Ezekiel's prophetic words concerning the Messiah, and Israel, we note the following overview concerning the chosen nation. All right, now I want you to, uh, how, how many do have your Bible? Okay, this is a Bible seminar, and you do believe in the Bible, I believe, here? Amen. Well, that's better. I was going to say thank you for the underwhelming response. Okay, so we're going to be very systematic uh, here this morning, but I want you to add some things, and then we have a bit on the overhead, which I saw some of you sneak in yesterday and get ahead of me. Okay, that's all right. Let's turn to, uh, first of all, let's turn to a scripture that's not on your notes, then we'll go, go to your notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, we'll pick out one verse there. So please don't exercise your leg muscles and jump to conclusion until I'm finished. <laughs> all right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, we were sort of following on a little bit from last night. Glory departing from Israel, God dealing with the Gentile nations. Now we're looking at God's dealing with the chosen nation as it was in the Old Testament. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, verse 32. Now let me make a statement here. In this chapter or in this verse, uh, we have what we call the three ethnic divisions of the human race. As God looks down on the planet Earth, all the earth is divided into three ethnic divisions. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30, 32. So it says, Paul writing to the uh, believers here, number, uh, he says, Give no offense, number one, either to the Jews. So the Jews are, or the nation of Israel or the Jewish people. So give no offense. So we don't want to be offensive. We want to be uh, honest with them and we want to tell the truth. I'll tell you some... Uh, things that have frightened me as I've uh, been around the traps here. So number one, either to the Jews, number two, or to the, uh, the Greeks, and the Greek in the old uh, King James, it says the Gentiles, so anybody outside the chosen nation or outside the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, was counted Greeks or Gentiles. And then number three, note the third uh, ethnic division, or to the Church of God. So uh, regardless whether you belong to Israel, or a Gentile, if you're in the church, you're a new creation. Everybody said amen? So they are the three ethnic divisions as God looks down the, on the planet Earth. The Jews, Gentiles will say, and the new creation people, the church of God composed out of Jew and Gentile believing. 
Okay, so that's the big picture. So three ethnic divisions. We're looking at one. All right, now let's turn over uh, letter A on your sheet here. Yes, letter A. And uh, I want you to look at Paul's burden for the nation of Israel. And really important to pick up the language here. Now remember, I'm trying to balance between what I think are two extremes. So uh, uh, Romans chapter 9. And I'll put the scriptures there, verses 1 through to 4, or 1 through to 3 at the moment. So he says, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. Now Paul is a Jew, though he's an apostle to the Gentiles, this is his burden. He says, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. What, what is it, Paul? That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. So here Paul is a Jew. Uh, the tribe of Benjamin, and uh, yet he's not sent to the nation of Israel, particularly he's sent to the Gentiles. So what's, what does he say? I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ, cut off from Christ. In other words, he's saying, Lord, s uh, save them and damn me. I could wish that my, my, I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. So this is uh, Paul's burden. He has a grief and a heaviness in his heart uh, for his own Jewish people, nation of Israel. Uh, and he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Let's go to chapter 10 and verse 1. And I'd like to encourage you to underline a particular part of this. And I have no problem with uh, people who say, okay, they're called to Israel, they're called to witness to the Jewish people. Some are called to Africa, some are called to India, some are called to uh, Myanmar, some are called to Australia, some are called, you know. Uh, I, I don't worry. God puts different nations and different countries on different hearts. As long as we all have this desire. Uh, Romans 10 and verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is what? Let's all say the last few words. Is that they may be saved. That's it. So Paul has a grief and a heaviness in his heart for the nation, his own uh, Jewish uh, uh, people. And uh, he, he, he said, well, Lord, you can even damn me and save them. Wow. Not too many of us have that. Uh, so Paul's burden and prayer for Israel is his desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Underline that section if you mark your Bible, that they may be saved. That's all. That's my burden. I've been to Jerusalem. I've been for a misguided tour. I've been to the two places where Jesus was buried. I've been to Jacob's well and drank water out the well, spat it back again. Uh, I've been there. I've done that, you know. But my desire is that they may be saved. But that's my desire for every nation. Every nation I go to, and my wife and I have been to uh, some 30 nations in the last two or three years before we got sick. And my desire is that they may be saved. That's it. How many can say amen? We all ought to have that desire and prayer that God will save. Okay, now let's go to letter B and we'll go to the PowerPoint. And for those naughty people that ran ahead yesterday, I'll forgive you. Father Connor has uh, forgiven you. <laughs> okay, now go back to Romans chapter 9 if you can keep, keep your Bible open. We have national privileges that were given to natural Israel. Now, I've put uh, ten of, uh, nine of them all together, but let's just go through them. So back to Romans chapter 9. Let me read the verses and break it up here a little bit <coughs> as we take it off the uh, uh, PowerPoint. So after verse 3, he says, 
you know, I wish I was a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. And then he has uh, at least eight here, and then one other one we're going to, uh, the, the things that were given to the nation. Why did God choose the nation? We'll see that in a moment. So he said, who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption? Number one. Uh, you've got it on here, so you can write it down unless you've already done it, but that's okay. Let me just explain something here. To whom pertaineth the adoption? Okay, now, it's not like in the Western world. I don't know what it's like in Malaysia, but in Western world, we have people who adopt a baby and adopt children and so forth and uh, everything. It's not like Western adoption. Biblical adoption, Hebrew adoption was this, that when a child came of age, then uh, at a certain age, then the father adopted his uh, son and gave him the keys of the kingdom and uh, keys of responsibility. So it's not like Western adoption of a child. My, my uh, daughter Sharon uh, couldn't have children with Frank and Mozzo, and uh, they adopted two children, one from Guatemala and, uh, and so forth, one they say from abortion. So it's not like Western adoption. Uh, turn over, uh, try and hold Romans... Uh, uh, nine, if you can, but turn over to Exodus chapter four, and we alluded to this last night uh, in my croaky voice. Uh, Exodus chapter four, it'll give us a clue, and uh, you can put next to this. So number one, to whom pertains the adoption? Exodus chapter four, and verse twenty-two uh, to twenty-three, and so it says here. Uh, and you shall say, where are we? Verse twenty-two. Then you shall say to Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Not sons, but my son, my firstborn. So God looked on the nation of Israel, the infant nation of Israel, as his son and his firstborn. Verse 23, So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. Not serve Pharaoh and be slave to you. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. So this, this theme that I gave her last night, all these nations that were against Israel, and same today, surrounding nations against Israel, they were children of the flesh and firstborn after the flesh. As we saw last night, God sets aside the firstborn after the flesh uh, to bring in his firstborn after the spirit. So we get this whole theme of the church of the firstborn. Now, Egypt is the first of the seven heads, uh, not too heavy here, but the seven heads on the beast in Revelation chapter 12, 13, and 17, Egypt is the first head. And so here, Egypt is the firstborn and the first uh, head of the seven heads on the beast of Revelation, and God is saying, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And if you don't let my son go to serve me, I'm going to kill your son, your firstborn. So they, Israel took a firstborn lamb and put the blood of the firstborn lamb on the doorpost and then God slaughtered the uh, firstborn sons of Egypt. So we have death. God's trying to get something across about the firstborn. So that's what we're saying. God took the nation and adopted the nation of Israel and his purpose was not to make them a blessing club but to bless the nations of the earth, to make them a missionary nation. All right, Romans, back to Romans again. Number two, to whom pertain the adoption and the glory. Well, we already dealt with that last night, the glory, the visible manifestation of the presence of God. That's what we mean by the glory, uh, the Shekinah glory or the visible presence of God on the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim, uh, which glory Ezekiel sees depart. All right, number three, 
to whom pertain, I'm using that sense, to whom pertain not only the adoption and the glory, but the covenants. And there were four covenants that belonged to Israel. The Abrahamic covenant, if you just want to put AC, that's okay. Not ADC, <laughs> ACDC, music. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant, then the Mosaic covenant, and then the Palestinian covenant, the Davidic covenant, I'm sorry, and then the, uh, the new covenant. So let me say that again. To whom pertain the covenants, plural. So five covenants that were given to the nation. The Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Now let me say one thought on here. Uh, the Mosaic covenant concerns the people, the nation itself, the Mosaic covenant. Then the Palestinian covenant, and so many people argue, well, what about the land of Israel and the Jews are getting back their land? And I've been there and seen some of the Arabs kicked out of the land and uh, uh, Western people are saying, oh, praise God, Israel's getting the land back. Hey, say, so they don't understand the Palestinian covenant which concerned the land. And see, we, we can't get into this, of course. Uh, there's some excellent books down there by a friend of mine called Kevin Connor you could look at <laughs> on the covenant. And so... You know, God promised them the land under the Abrahamic covenant, but under the Palestinian covenant, he gave them laws for living in the land. And he said, if you don't obey the laws of the land, because God is the Lord of the land, in other words, he's the landlord, I'm going to spew you out of the land. And that's exactly what God did. God threw them out of the land, the house of Israel and the house of Jews. See, People don't understand the Palestinian covenant so well. Who does the land belong to? Well, praise God, the Jews are getting the land back. Hey, read my book. Thank you. <laughs> All right, and then the Davidic covenant, which concerned the kings, and David being the first king of the house of Judah, uh, consummating in the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, and then the final covenant that God was going to make with them was the new covenant. The days are coming, says the Lord, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. So, okay, uh, number three, the covenants. Number four, to whom pertains the giving of the law? Uh, I can't milk this too much, but the giving of the law, uh, just let me summarize that a little bit. <laughs> uh, it sounds like I'm trying to sell a book here, but the book I've done on law and grace, what do you mean I'm not under law, I'm under grace, my latest thing before I had my attack, um, that deals more fully with that. But basically, we had the moral law, the Ten Commandments, the civil law in the book of the law, an amplification of the, of the moral law, and then we had the ceremonial law, uh, which pertains to the bells and smells and incense and nonsense, and the priesthood and the feasts and sacrifice and so forth. Then we have the food laws. The, they were the healthiest nation on the face of the earth, and so God spelled out what they could eat. They were not allowed to eat pork. And I've told you before, pork's not going to stop you getting to heaven. It'll help you get there quicker. Um, <laughs> I can tell who are the pork-eating ones among you, like crayfish and crabs, sea pigs, I call them. They feed on all the filth in the ocean. It's not going to stop you getting to heaven. It's not a salvation issue, just a health issue. And then uh, uh, health and uh, the, f uh, the hygiene laws. How many think we should take a bath now and then? Because some people, I say, when they lift their hands, say, <laughs> hallelujah, you need to take a shower, brother. Thank you. Okay. Uh, anyway, the giving of the law. All right. Num number five, the next thing to whom pertain uh, the, pr the service of God. 
and by the service of God, we mean the service of God in the tabernacle of Moses and the tabernacle of David. The service of God in the, in the tabernacle of Moses was the way of approach to God through sacrifice. The service of God in the tabernacle of David was the, prayer, uh, the way of approach to God through worship. There was no sacrifice in the tabernacle of David. So they both serve a purpose. So the service of God, the order of service we think about. Number six, to whom pertain the promises? The service of God and the promises. Okay, the promises particularly concerning uh, the promises of the seed Messiah. Uh, you might like to do it this way. Uh, Abraham was promised two seed lines. Uh, he was promised that sand seed, your, uh, Genesis 13, your seed will be as the sand. Uh, Abraham picks up a handful of sand and say, God says, number, he said, impossible. Well, your seed's going to be as numberless as the sand. And then in Genesis 15, he takes him outside and said, okay, you've looked down at the sand. I want you to look towards the stars now. And if you can number the stars, your seed will be. So in the Old Testament, as well as today, Abraham has two seed lines. He has sand seed and star seed. Sand seed represents natural, national Israel. A Jewry in New York and in the Middle East and scattered throughout the world. So sand seed. It's a natural, national, earthly Israel after the flesh. The star seed represents a spiritual, the heavenly seed. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. I wonder <laughs> who you are, so forth. So if Abraham came back today and he was looking for his seed, where do you think he'd go? How many you know he'd be at this seminar? Uh, he'd probably go over to Jerusalem and say, sand seed, you need to accept the Messiah. And then he'd come to the house of the Lord and say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, you're my seed, the spiritual seed, the heavenly seed. How many of the seed of Abraham this morning? Some of you in doubt. If you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed. I'll be dealing with that Sunday morning. Come along for that exciting episode. <laughs> okay, uh, so the seed, the two seed lines, sand and stars, the natural and the spiritual Israel. Then number seven, whose are the fathers? This is all in verse four and five. Whose are the fathers? And particularly when we think of the fathers, we think of the three fathers. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. There's only three men in the Bible that God has been pleased to call himself the God of. Now, he's the God of Adam, he's the God of Noah, he's the God of Elijah, but only, uh, uh, listen to the words I'm using, only of this trinity of men. I'm the God of Abraham, the Father. I'm the God of Isaac, the only begotten son of the Old Testament. Jesus, the only begotten son of the New Testament. I'm the God of Jacob, the first one to anoint with oil in the Bible. So. Jacob proceeded from the father Abraham through the only begotten son Isaac and he becomes a, thir a, thir a third person of that trinity of men to anoint Bethel with oil, the house of God. And so it points to that these me three men, this trinity of men, have the characteristics on the divine side of the divine nature. Abraham the father, Isaac the only begotten son, and Jacob the third person and the anointer of Bethel, which is the house of God. Wow, you could spend a whole hour on that. Just put down Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6 on that one. So, to whom pertain the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Number 8, the last thing here is, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever, 
Amen. So, the eighth uh, blessing here, the privilege that was given to them, they were the uh, uh, progenitors of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Put down Romans chapter 1 and verse uh, 3 in connection with this. And it says, um, Romans 1 and verse 3 says, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So, greatest uh, privilege given to that nation. They were chosen as a nation uh, to preserve the seed unto the coming of the Messiah. All right, number nine, the last thing here. I want you to turn over to uh, Romans chapter 3 again. <coughs> Romans chapter 3. And put down verses 1 through to 2. And here was the ninth uh, privilege that was given to the chosen nation. So uh, it says here, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 of Romans. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Then Paul says, much in every, every way, but listen, chiefly, chiefly what? Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. So number nine, the oracles of God. And by the oracles of God, we mean the scriptures. They were the chosen nation, and God only used the chosen nation to write the Bible, both Old and New Testament. And so we owe that nation so much. These are the uh, privileges that were given to that nation. Above all, we have the sacred scriptures. Sorry today, Orthodox Jews only have the Old Testament. They reject the New Testament because they have not accepted the Messiah. Okay, let's go to let us see. Everybody breathing? Yeah. All right, Genesis, uh, let's, uh, uh, let us see. Reasons for God's cho uh, choice of Israel. Let me have some holy water here. Uh, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy. I want to give you two reasons why God chose this nation. And uh, I wish people who uh, deify the Jew above the church would be honest and say, hey, this is why God chose you, not to fill you with pride, but this is the purpose. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, it's on your notes there. That's for following the scriptures. Okay, ver uh, Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 to 9. And it says here, where will we go over here? For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now listen carefully. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than the, uh, any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. So God didn't choose them for numbers' sake. I know he wrote the book of Numbers. But because the Lord loves you, and because, so the cause, the cause, the cause. So he did not choose you because you were more in number, but because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Moses, and Jacob, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you, from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So number one, God did not choose the nation of Israel because of numbers, but because of love and because of the oath that he made to the fathers. So number one, why did God choose him? Okay, it gets a little bit hotter down the next chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy 9 verses 4 to 6. So Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 46, it's on your note there. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast 
them, the Canaanites out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess the land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out before you. And that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then verse 6, just to make sure you get the point. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. And what a nice prophecy this last part is. You are a stiff-necked people. Oh, thank you, Father, for that wonderful prophecy. So notice the word righteousness. They were not chosen for their righteousness. They were stiff-necked people. The reason God chose them was because of the wickedness of the people. And you see, God puts people out of lands, dispossesses them, and lets other people take their lands. That can be very controversial, but that's the fact that God uh, cast out the Canaanites because of their wickedness, and he gave the land of Canaan to the people. Sorry to say. Okay, let's go to one more scripture here quickly here. Deuteronomy, uh, no, uh, Genesis, sorry, Genesis chapter 12. It's on your note there. Genesis chapter 12. And, uh, all right, so number one, they're not chosen for numbers, but because of love and God's oath. And number two, he did not choose them because of their righteousness. Uh, they were stiff-necked people, uh, but to fulfill his word. And then uh, Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3, I'll just read it uh, and make one comment here. Now, the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth uh, will be blessed. Uh, the, the word blessing is used five times in that passage. So if you want to put number three, number three, God chose them to be a blessing to all the families or all the nations of the earth. So let me just repeat that. The reasons for God's choice of Israel was not for numbers, not because of their righteousness, but to be a blessing to the nations of the earth, the families of the earth. That's it. They forgot all about that. Okay, now let's go to letter D here. And we want to look at the fourfold desolation, two things here. So under letter D, I've got desolation and divorce. Now I know I'm throwing the book at you, but uh, we start off on the first night, you know, with waters to our ankles. And then... Last night we got to our knees. Now this morning we're having waters to swim in. It gets worse each session. All right, now I want you to notice this desolation and divorce. Now when you, uh, let's, uh, let's go to Leviticus chapter 26, pick out a couple of things there. Leviticus chapter 26. And as I've said before, you know, if... Uh, some of this may be over your head because we're all on different levels in the Lord, but uh, I encourage you to get the CDs or the DVDs. You can always turn me off. Okay, now this chapter, Leviticus chapter 26, we call it the chapter of the seven times prophecy. So, because of time, I want you to note the use of the expression seven times as we look into this. So, God chose the nation. Paul had a burden for it. 
We've looked at the reason he chose the nation now. We want to look at this. So verse 18, the first use of this expression seven times. I just haven't got the type of time to, to go into it uh, fully, but draw it to your attention. So in verse 18, and he says, And after all this, if you do not obey me, everybody say to obey me. The issue is obedience. Then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Now, seven times is more than one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, that hurt. No, no, it's, it's deeper than that. Seven times prophecy. So I'll punish you seven times. So seven times punishment. Go down to the next use of the word seven times. Verse 21. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me. See, the issue is obedience. Andrew Murray says, Christ died to bring us back to the obedience from which Adam fell. The issue is obedience. So he says, if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. So seven times punishment, verse 18, seven times plagues, verse 21. Then verse 24. Then he says, then I will, oh, let's go to verse 23, lead into it. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. God will be to us what we are to him. You walk contrary to me, I'll walk contrary to you. And I will punish you yet seven times, uh, yet uh, punish you yet seven times for your sins. So seven times plague, seven times punishment. Again, then the last reference is found in verse 28. I've marked it in my Bible, so it's easy to pick up. Verse 27, I'll lead into. And after all this, if you do not obey me, you notice the issue of obedience, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. So you note the language uh, uh, new authorized here. Seven times punishment, seven times plague, seven times punishment, seven times chastisement. All right, so God has warned them in Leviticus 20, if you don't obey me when you get into the land and so forth, this is what I'm going to do, seven times punishment. Now, I want you to go down to verse, verses 31, and for your fill-in, <coughs> your fill-ins here, um, you'll find the four things that God promised to desolate. So let me just read the scriptures first of all, and then uh, you can get your fill-ins from, it's on the uh, PowerPoint here. So in verse 31, I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Okay, four things God said he'd desolate in the punishment. And this is what's happening in the book of Ezekiel. That's why you need to read those scriptures. We've dealt with it. Uh, you've got it on your notes there. Number one, I will desolate your sanctuaries. So he desolates the temple. The glory departs. Desolate means Ichabod. The glory is departing. The glory has departed. So desolate your sanctuary. So all their sacred places, Shiloh, the temple, Tabernacle of Day, all that thing, God just desolated. Okay, punishment. Number uh, letter B, I will desolate your cities. I've underlined the four words 
in those verses there. Desolate your city. So the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The cities of Judah were destroyed. When Nebuchadnezzar came in with the Babylonian armies, they just desolated everything. That's the, the pity of it. And then let us see, I will desolate your land. And you see, God said every seven years you're to give the land Sabbath rest. And uh, we haven't got time to take time to prove this, but you will find that when King Saul was made king, they failed to keep the Sabbath years. And when you work out to the Babylon captivity, God said, I'm going to send you 70 years in Babylon captivity and the land will enjoy the Sabbaths that you failed to keep. And uh, in our Western world, I'm sure same devil here, people just work the land to death. I used to work on a farm and my boss, he wasn't really a Christian uh, church man, but we used to rest the land every few years. Eh? But now we bleed the land and we wonder why the land is cursing us, why we have famine in the land, all these things. Some laws still abide. Don't say, oh, they're nailed to the cross. Don't do that. Okay, and then number letter D, the fourth thing is, I will desolate the people. Fourfold desolation. And uh, I photocopied our Strong's and Cordons, and it's just interesting, you put that actually as another key word. The word desolation is used in uh, Ezekiel, uh, what do I have it, I had it down there, at least about 47 times, if I remember. Desolation, go through your concordance on desolation in Ezekiel. So the people, they know these scriptures. So when Ezekiel the prophet is prophesied about the desolation of the temple and the city of Jerusalem and the, and the, the land and the people, they know about these warnings. Uh, I'm sorry, what did I say? Uh, desolation or desolate is used 44 times in Ezekiel. Okay, let's uh, just slip over uh, to uh, the New Testament because as we saw last night, hopefully, in spite of my voice, uh, Jesus follows very much the, uh, the, the ministry of Ezekiel. Go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. <coughs> and uh, let's go to the end of the cha uh, Matthew chapter 23. And we're going to pick up uh, in verse uh, 38. Now, we alluded to this last night, but as I said, each ses uh, session can, uh, follows on from the previous, hopefully. Okay, so verse uh, 37 we'll read, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you were not willing. I would not, but you would not. Now, verse 38. See, your house is left to you desolate. So the desolation of the temple of God, just like Ezekiel. For I say to you, you shall not see me uh, no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then, verse thir uh, 1 of 20, chapter 24, we looked at it last night, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, just as the glory of God went out and departed from the temple on Ezekiel's time. Similar thing. And then verse, 20 uh, verse 2 is the disciples are showing him the buildings of the temple. He says, See you not all these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So Jesus prophesies the destruction of the temple. So Jesus is following the same thing. Uh, turn to one other scripture there, 
and then I think it's time for a break. Wow. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 21. So Jesus uh, follows very much uh, a lot of the ministry of uh, Ezekiel in his time. So Luke chapter 21 and uh, go to verse tw uh, 20. Yeah, verse 20. Luke 21 verse 20. And Jesus speaking, But when you see Jerusalem, now he said your house is left to your desolate, desolation of the temple. Now he says when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near, the desolation of the city. And so Jesus saw in A.D. 70 under the Roman Empire, the New Testament Babylonian Empire, so to speak, he sees desolation of the temple, desolation of the city, desolation of the land, desolation of the people. So if we get the big picture here. That's what we see, the fourfold desolation. All right, let's take 10 minutes break and come back for this exciting episode in 10 minutes. We hope you've enjoyed today's teaching. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information.